Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Boston Loose Baseball coming your way. Our guest today, Nationals pitching prospect Jackson Rutledge. The 2019 first rounder has not allowed a run in three of his last four starts, and he's coming off his best start as a professional. Seven innings of three-hit scoreless ball with eight strikeouts at Fredericksburg. We'll catch up with him on finally getting healthy, finally starting to throw the ball the way he wants to. He is the number four prospect in the system, according to MLB Pipeline. Plus, a wild finale against the Pirates as the Nats were unable to get a sweep. And a big series coming up on the holiday weekend against the Marlins. We've got your superlatives, as we always do. Second episode of every week, right here on Boston Loose Baseball. No reason to wait. Let's get it started. Right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, no sweep for the Nationals against the Pirates. Day off on Thursday, they start a weekend series with the Miami Marlins Friday through Independence Day weekend. But Danny, why don't we start with that wacky 8-7 game. Normally, we don't get into the specifics of games because, you know, it could be dated, but it's worth it. I mean, there were just so many weird things that happened. Look, I think most of us knew this team's not making the playoffs. They're not going 500. You're signing up for a rebuild. You know that they are going to use a lot of young players, and occasionally that means some mistakes will be made. But what an ugly, entertaining, wild, fun final game against Pittsburgh where there were rules that we haven't seen implemented in years there were players forgetting how many outs there were and like a scene out of angels in the outfield two base runners at a time both sliding in at home plate absolutely wacky i coached uh, 13 year olds a long time ago and kind of their transition out of little league into you know the full 90 feet the big diamond and and the like that was very similar to one of those games and i don't just mean the quality of the play it's easy to, to take shots i mean the catcher throwing to a first baseman that was charging for a bunt I mean, multiple double plays into weird shifts where, like, the shortstop Kelly leaked things and, and, uh, and, you know, cut across and they turned double plays that way. A rule that nobody had seen. Unclear umpiring where nobody was quite sure what to do. You know, shoddy defense in in moments. One kid getting on base five times. The other kid hitting five homers because he was special that day. Just an utterly strange day. At the ballpark, we were, we we did post game on the Nationals Radio Network right in advance of our normal show, Grant and Danny, and Charlie Slow said it best. They, he and Dave have been doing this for what is it, seventeen, eighteen years now, seventeen together, I guess you know, eighteen overall. And 
they broadcast, you know, thousands of games. We've all seen thousands of games. Sometimes you go to the ballpark, you'll see something you've never seen. And that's the beauty of this game. I mean, sports in general, I think, but baseball especially. I have not seen that play happen in that way, the one that we're going to talk about here for a few moments, ever. I've ne- I've seen people unsure if a guy caught a ball or not, and people you know not really certain if they can advance or not. People just go for it, and then we'll kind of sort it out later with umpire meetings. I've never seen it play out that way like it did yesterday, which ultimately was the difference in the ballgame. Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily now a couple days removed worth further legislating, I suppose. But th- the specifics were that there is an imaginary fourth out that you can get in an inning. You've seen that play out more than anything else probably when there's a strikeout that goes back to the screen and a runner can reach and and get on to first base and then you have to get another out which would be the fourth out of the inning but the other reason for the fourth out is so that you can potentially appeal when a run scores that shouldn't have and that was the case for the nationals in that had adrianza at third base stepped on third because the runner second and third from third base that scored beat the tag of the runner advancing from second to third. As soon as he tagged the runner who was going second to third, third out of the inning, the inning's over, except that the run is already scored. And at that point, it's a base running play, essentially. It's like when Juan Soto got his hit against the Brewers, he gets out rounding second, uh, but the runs had already scored for the Nats in the wild card game, and so didn't really matter, right? Well, rather than stepping on third to get the, the lead runner who had scored, would have negated the run and been the third out. He tagged the runner, third out automatically ended that inning, so it didn't matter that he subsequently then stepped on the bag. And as the umpire and crew said after the game, essentially the Nationals would have had to appeal before walking off the field, which they didn't do. I think Davey Martinez thought that by Adrianza just stepping on the bag, he had appealed, which isn't the case. They said you have to actually, it's like, you know, being uh, reporting as eligible as a tackle before a run play. You have to go up to them and say, hey, we are appealing. They have to grant you permission to do that appeal, and that none of that happened. So it was all technicalities and nonsense, but the run counted in a one-run game, ended up being the deciding run in the game. But it wasn't the only gaffe because I thought the bigger, more egregious blunder because, you know, it just – That is confusing, and I could see how that could go sideways for a bunch of guys with quirks of the rule on page 49 of this rule book. Uh, How about Kbert Ruiz not remembering that there were two outs, and he was standing on third base, and with a ball hit into the outfield, he waited to tag and ended up dropping for a base hit. Should have long scored. Instead, he held up... I think it was uh, Yadiel Hernan- Hernandez. Yadiel thought, Hernandez, yeah. yeah, round in third base. They came in to home plate together. Hernandez is tagged out. Cost the Nats another run in a one-run game that could have well uh, ended up having them push that game into extras. Yeah, that's more standard practice, right? That's more controllable. That's just that's just being aware, and uh, Ruiz wasn't aware there. So you got the full rookie kid that's exciting with upside experience. He throws out another runner, yet another runner thrown out by, by Ruiz. Gets on base three times, I think, with a couple hits, and... Uh, then, yeah, with a base running gaffe. That, and that's the kind of stuff that drives coaches nuts. It drives fans nuts. And, you know, players don't like to be embarrassed in that regard. I mean, it's, you know, striking out against 99 with movement isn't embarrassing. Uh, you know, hitting a line drive that someone catches isn't embarrassing. Once, you, once you're in control of your own actions and you do something that's that much of a gaffe, it is. Players don't like to be embarrassed. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we have some of these unwritten rules in, in the sport, right? Guys don't want to be shown up. Guys don't want you choreographed. This is old history now, but guys don't want, like, choreographed dance when you hit a single. Guys used to not want you to pimp home runs because they don't like feeling that embarrassment, right? And that's what this game is always going to do. It's going to humble you throughout the normal course of events. That controllable mistake 
is something that is just really, really hard for folks to swallow. So hopefully that's kind of that teachable moment where it doesn't happen again to Ruiz. I mean, listen, great players. Larry Walker, a Hall of Famer, forgot how many outs there were one time and handed the ball to a fan. You play that many games, that many innings, that many moments of focus, you're going to have some screw-ups and gaffes, but that one was was pretty tough to take right there because, as you said, it cost the team a run. Well, it's also tough to take because you're trying to sweep for the first time all year and maybe the only or one of a couple times all year you'll be able to do that, and you get 16 hits. You score seven runs. You got to win the ball game at home. You know, they had six guys out of nine in the lineup with multiple hits. Josh Bell was awesome. He scored twice. He was three for three. Uh, he had a couple of doubles and he, he he walked a pair of times. I mean, he was just magnificent again in the game. By the way, I don't know if you've seen the numbers on Josh Bell here recently, but they're obviously very good. But you extrapolate them out over a year now. Josh Bell over his last 162 games is hitting 300 on the nose, getting on base at a 392 clip and slugging 500. So that's good for a 900 OPS and a 300 average with 86 runs, 28 homers, over 100 driven in. 162 games, he's done that. He got off to the really slow start. Remember, he had the huge spring training last year. Then he got COVID, got off to a really, really bad start in the spring, and then he caught fire the rest of the way. So based on catching fire the the second half of last year plus the first half of this year, his 162 games that he's played leading up to this podcast, he has been one of the best first basemen in baseball. And I really do think they'll do okay for him in the, the trade market. Ideally, they can make an attempt to bring him back. I'm not confident with the sale pending, uh, but that's what I would do. I, I would trade him, get something back, and then I would do everything I could to re-sign him this offseason. I like that plan. I mean, we've talked about this before in, in terms of you know players finding their identity, right? Every once in a while, we get a generational thing, like a guy like Mike Trout or a guy like Albert Pujols in his prime or, or Barry Bonds at, at his pinnacle. Guys who can do everything, right? Anything you'd want at the plate. Homer, lead the league in that, triple crown type stuff. Miguel Cabrera is another example. You can drive in runs, you can hit for average, you can do everything. Most guys, though, that's too much to ask. The superhumans can do that. But the regular mortals sometimes have to kind of pick and choose. And you had someone like Ichiro or Tony Gwynn that they said, no, 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 where I'm my best is putting the ball in play, never trying to do too much. Ichiro would put on displays in batting practice. If he'd wanted to, he could have been a 30-plus home run hitter. That's not where he was at his best, though. He was in best, you know, hitting the ball the other way, putting it in play, using his speed, etc. Same uh, kind of player with Quinn. Josh Bell has a 37-home run season on his resume. So this is a, a bit of a tougher sell that I'm going to give you here, but I want to I want to throw this up to flagpole and see if we can salute it. I think he's really kind of discovered what the best version of Josh Bell is. And it's this guy that uses that you know, ridiculous size and strength that he has, not to Adam Dunn it, not to drop and drive, which I'm sure people had told him forever, just to try to hit fly balls and, you know, hit nothing but nukes and you know, average be damned. I think he's figured out he can use that strength to be really, really simple and just sort of throw the bat at stuff. Whereas if your regular major league hitter that's not as big and strong as he is, throws his bat at something in kind of this, uh, you know, 40, 50% effort kind of way, it's a measly pop-up to the shortstop, whereas he's, you know, spanking a ball into the gap or hitting one down the line like he did yesterday or finding some greenery for extra base hits. I think this is the best version of Josh Bell, the guy that may not hit 35 home runs, but a guy that can be well over 300, great bat-to-ball skills, more with occasional power. I think he's kind of really coming into his own here in terms of his identity. Yeah, and this is not new 
by any means. I mean, again, he had a, a monster year a couple years ago, and you alluded to uh, how good he's been previously. But, uh, yeah, I think more often than not over the last three years, Josh Bell's been an all-star caliber, like, legitimate, outstanding player. And remember, he was drafted uh, when teams were trying to pry him away from a commitment. His parents, I think, are educators. or you know, Education was really important to him. We know now he's got his book club. Uh, he, he had a strong commitment. I think it was to Stanford at the time, if I remember. Maybe it was Texas. Uh, but people stayed away from him because he basically sent a letter out with his agent saying, I'm going to college. Don't draft me. And the Pirates called his bluff and drafted him and said, no, you're not. We're drafting you. And, and here's you. some money. Yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that uh, this is a guy that was supposed to be what he's become. And he's a really, really good player and, and might end up being the player of the month. Matter of fact, Darius, would you do me a favor? Pull up Matt Wyrick's Twitter account real quick because the NBC Sports Washington Nats beat reporter posted a bunch of stats today on Josh Bell. Uh, that were really, really crazy. So uh, here it is here with the Nationals off for the final day of June as we're taping this podcast on Thursday. He says, Bell has made a case for the player of the month in the National League. This is where he's ranked this year in these categories. 1.6 F4 third, 358 average second, 447 on base first, 695 slug first, 1142 ops first, 34 hits third, seven home runs sixth, 16 walks sixth, 43% hard hit rate fourth. I mean, you, you got a case to say he's the best player in the National League this month. I didn't realize those numbers at all accumulated in this month of June. That's pretty damn impressive. I mean, I knew he was scalding, but I didn't realize it was like that. Yeah, he, he should be an all-star. And again, I, who knows if it'll end up, the numbers will work out, et, et cetera, but he is definitely all-star worthy. Speaking of all-stars, the Nationals hope they drafted one in 2019 when they selected Jackson Rutledge out of junior college. It has been a long road for him. Obviously, the 2020 season didn't happen. Then in 2021, which we'll talk to him about, injuries kept him under 40 innings, but he's finally back on the hill and throwing gas. We caught up with Jackson Rutledge. Here was our conversation. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Zoom. And we are joined now by Jackson Rutledge, MLB Pipeline's number four prospect in the Nat system, a former first-round pick who has been rolling in Fredericksburg, including making probably his best start as a pro, going seven shutouts, scattering three hits, punching out eight a couple nights ago. Jackson, we're Grant Paulson and Danny Ruye here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. How are you, man? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on. So I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years and talked to you, Dayton, all the way back to when you were drafted. So let's just start with your most recent start, and and then we'll go back to the beginning. Uh, The other night had to feel really good. That that was as sharp as we've seen you in the box score, utterly dominant. What went right for you? Um, Yeah, I think it was the blueprint of what I can do and what I need to do going forward, just attacking guys early, Um, getting a lot of first-pitch contact, a lot of first-pitch outs. you know, after that, I think I got a uh, a third inning double play ball, um, and after that, it kind of just turned into into cruising, um, getting a lot of quick innings, uh, and for me, getting ground balls uh, and let my infield work is is huge, and so um, that's what I did, and that's what I'm going to continue to do going forward. How I think we underestimate this, Jackson, in general, not just for you, but for so many folks. 2020 and a year that should have been developmental, a year that should have been a huge step forward for for you and so many other guys was just so weird, and and it just kind of screwed up so many different timelines. How much of that has just kind of been a factor on your track? I don't, I don't really like to think about that. Um, you know, that's something that's just outside of my control, outside of everybody's control. Um, so you know, we just kind of uh, have to make do with what we got in 2020. I was still able to play baseball and. Uh, in some sort of way, and so got to be thankful for that and, and not really worry about what could have been because that's just out of my control. All right, so let's go back through the beginning then. You're in college. The Nats are talking to you with a bunch of other teams before they make you the 17th pick in 2019 out of a JUCO at uh, San Jacinto uh, Community College in Texas. So take us back to that time. Did you know the Nats were in on you more than other clubs? What was the relationship like? And then draft night itself, how did that all go down? Uh, there was definitely a mix of, of teams. Um, I did not know that it was going to be uh, the Nets specifically, but um, when the time came, uh, they called my name, and, and that's kind of just how it how it works out, and haven't looked back since then. You're a bigger dude. For folks that don't know, six foot eight, and it's no joke. You're a legit six foot eight. How how much harder is that for guys that are you know that are, that are your size typically to be able to kind of repeat the delivery and be consistent with your mechanics while still not sacrificing who you are as a pitcher? I think the um, the thing that helps me is just athleticism, um, just working on being an athlete in general because no one can perfectly repeat their delivery every time. So uh, being able to make adjustments on the go and, and mid-game adjustments is, is more important than, um, I guess, the what you would think is uh, repeatability. Um, so for me, just remembering to be an athlete and um, continuing to work on that throughout the offseason and, and in-season is, is uh, an important aspect for me. So you're drafted in the first round in 19. Danny asked you about the alt site in 20. Can you give us an idea of what kind of things you were working on and how that worked? I know that you had some health things you were overcoming with a shoulder and a blister along the way, but like, what was that process like? Because you mentioned you know, you had to make the most of it. Everyone had to deal with it. So how did you go about getting better during that time? Yeah, it was definitely a lot of, um, A, just, just learning how a, a, a pro ball uh, clubhouse works um, was definitely significant in 2020 with uh, a lot of the older guys and and kind of taking some of the wisdom that they have and and trying to apply it to myself um, also just continuing to work on um, the off-speed pitch uh, the change up uh, 
that was definitely a, a point of emphasis and is still is um, continuing to work on that this year. Um, and just uh, command of the fastball is, uh, you know, the baseline for, for any good pitcher. So I think those are the things that I was uh, most most productive on. What is the team kind of giving you in terms of direction to, to the, in that regard, Jackson? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the, the the talent speaks for itself. You're you're there. You're a pro, and you're ascending through the organization. What have they kind of given you as, as sort of keys? Yeah, I think uh, definitely being a guy that just attacks hitters. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm going to be a power pitcher, uh, and so attacking over the plate uh, is something that's uh, going to be beneficial to me. Um, continuing to use the changeup and and uh, the sinker two seam that I'm using now and um, learning how to throw those uh, to my advantage and, and get those quick outs I mentioned earlier. Um, those are the things that they're really emphasizing with me. Jackson Rutledge, Nat System here on Bustin' Loose Baseball, joining us to break down his uh, journey to this point. All right, so we got through the 2020 uh, year where you were at the alt site. So then this off season. You know, what was your program like ramping up into, into 2021 and, and then even before 2022? Go back into last year, I guess, the 21 season post-pandemic and what that was like for you. Yeah, so the 21 season certainly wasn't um, what I wanted it to be. It was uh, a little bit frustrating with, you know, some that, that shoulder injury I had earlier, just the inflammation. Uh, and then I had a, uh, a blister that, that kept me out for, for way longer than I wanted it to. Um, which was probably the most frustrating thing I've dealt with so far. Um, so it was it was tough to get in a rhythm in 21. Um, ended up going to the fall league and um, you know getting some more innings in, which was uh, a lot of fun playing in that league and and definitely grateful that I was able to do that. Um, and then so this this off season uh, ended up being pretty short. And so I stayed in, in West Palm in the spring training facility and, and worked out with uh, one of the big league strength coaches, Tony Rogowski, and. Um, we uh, basically just uh, had a, a fairly quick turnaround and uh, got ramped up and ready for spring training. Obviously, I had a, a little bit of a setback in spring training, but um, everything's kind of where I want it to be now. Great. That's good to hear. The 36 innings last year were based on, as you said, a couple different issues, but the blisters were a big part of it. We hear that sometimes, but if we've never pitched, you know, I, I was never a pitcher, so I don't think we can relate to that. What, how does that work? I mean, is it a blister on your throwing finger and it just keeps coming back and, you know, you try to cut it down to the finger and go on the shelf once? or Like, what happened? So, yeah, it started off as a, a small blister um, on one of the hottest day of the year, days of the year. Just got a little bit too much friction, I guess, and um, ended up uh, ripping a week later. Uh, and then it just kind of it was it was right in the middle of my middle finger, right right on the pad of it where I would throw every single pitch. So there wasn't really a way to avoid it, unfortunately. Um, and then ended up getting healthy with it, uh, and then it kind of ripped again. Um, so I had to start over. Uh, so it was. Just one of those weird things in baseball that you don't really think of, um, but there was just about nothing I could do other than other than wait for it to heal. So, um, you know, trying to avoid them now, uh, doing some stuff to keep that skin a little bit tougher. But um, you know, it's just part of baseball, unfortunately. Jackson, tell me about the Arizona Fall League. That had to be a really cool experience for you, uh, going up against some of the guys that are that are knocking on the door of the, of the major leagues, and you had some success there. I'd love for you to talk, talk to us about that experience. Yeah, that was that was a a great time there. We had a we had a great group of guys from the Nats um, and also from other teams um, on that on that surprise team. And 
you know, we were, uh, we won a bunch of games also, which was a lot of fun. So, um, kind of just learning from those guys around me, uh, learning from, you know, the coaches we had there, uh, was a, a good experience because, you know, they are, you know, a few of them are in the league now and, um, you know, a lot of them are going to be it by the end of the year. Uh, so that was definitely something to just observe them and, and kind of take a look at why, what I do and, and what they do and, and compare and, um, see what I can get better at and, you know, kind of build off of each other. Jackson Rutledge with us on Boston Loose Baseball. We're letting Nats fans get to know him and, and just dive into the last couple of years as he's been working his way not only back to health, but all of a sudden to throwing the ball really well. Uh, three scoreless starts in his last four outings, including a gem over seven innings for Fredericksburg just a couple of days ago, last trip through the rotation. So you mentioned that short offseason going into 2022. What was your emphasis? You know, What did you really grind on in West Palm uh, leading up to the start of the season? Uh, working on a little bit of explosive stuff in the weight room, um, trying to get a little bit faster, get a little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a strong guy, but trying to move the bar a little bit quicker is, uh, the emphasis in the weight room. And then, you know, on the throwing side, it was about getting dialed in with my workload, um, getting dialed in with, uh, how much catch I need to throw every, I need to play every day. Um, not necessarily overthrowing, um, in order to, you know, maintain that health throughout the year. Cause it's a long season and, um, you know, being able to, to throw the entire year um, without having to uh, to take those, you know, injury vacations, if you will, um, back to Florida throughout the middle of the year is, is just about the most important thing for me this year. Um, so that was really what it was, was just uh, about getting dialed in with that workload. Jackson, I'd love to hear something you picked up from one of your teammates at some point. You mentioned that experience in the Arizona Fall League. Is there something that you had always kind of done something one way, and someone said, "No, no, you, you I grip it on this part of the horseshoe," or, or you know, "This is my two seamer is actually a one seam sinker, and I throw it this way." Have you? Can you think of an example like that where you changed something? Uh, yeah, I've actually, that was where I started to bring back the uh, the sinker, um, something I had thrown up until a couple years ago, um, and then started to go to the four seam, and now I'm going back to it. Uh, definitely had a lot of conversations with, um, you know, the pitching coaches there and also, um, the other guys on the team that threw sinkers. And so, uh, we kind of, I guess did, did a little bit of brainstorming down in the bullpen, um, during, during some games and, um, you know, it kind of ended up finding something that I like. And so that was something that, that came out of it for sure. In terms of four-seamer versus sinker, like I, I could see to- two totally different schools, right? Someone as tall as you with the high release point, that downward action could be devastating. It could be like hitting a duck pin bowling ball. I could also see someone say, no, 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 you should be riding the top of the zone with some of that hydroplant, some of that carry. Where do you think your future lies? Or are you going to mix in both? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. Um, you know, my last outing, I got uh, quite a few punch-outs up in the zone um, in two-strike counts, and I think uh, I also got a lot of early ground outs uh, with the sinker down in the zone. So I think, you know, obviously coming from the release height that I have, the vertical approach angle is going to be very steep. And so using the two seam to my advantage um, can be good, but also getting through a baseball and, and throwing a four seam up in the zone is, is still, you know, an effective pitch in today's game. Um, so I think uh, just having the mix of both is going to help me a lot and uh, help me get deep into games. Jackson Rutledge got deep into his last start. These seven three-hit scoreless innings we talked about for the season at Fredericksburg. 34 innings, 31 strikeouts for him. Uh, has shown and flashed some really impressive stuff. And as I mentioned, three starts out of his last four no runs. He went six shutout, four shutout, seven shutout in three of those four outings. Uh, 
what are you happy about so far this season? What are you disappointed by? Give us something you've liked, something you haven't about your performance so far. Yeah, well, I think uh, the thing I didn't like was the the first few. Um, you know, working through some stuff, uh, working through, I guess, uh, kind of just the the small things in pitching. They didn't really think about the uh, kind of just showing the ball a little early, uh, not being very deceptive. Um, did did you expect some uh, of that, Jackson? Because it had been a while since you'd thrown. I mean, normally you're not going to hit the ground sprinting, or were you surprised by those results early on? I don't know that I was necessarily surprised. Um, frustrated for sure. Uh, you know, it, it, those things do happen, um, you know, kind of early in the season. But, uh, you know, you never want to expect um, bad outings. Uh, but, you know, working past those, uh, making those adjustments, uh, has put me in a really confident place um, with, with commanding my fastball, um, you know, being in control of the game and, and, and in control of the plate during at-bats. Um, something that I'm very pleased with myself this year and my ability to uh, to do that. When you're going good, and you got to touch on this here just now in terms of what the process looks like, right? C- commanding the plate. But when you're going good, walk me through that feeling, right? Where is it? You know, you, hey, my, I know my weight's back. I know it just I'm, I'm, I'm effortless, and I'm still throwing cheddar. I mean, what are some of those things where you go? Now I'm kind of in my zone. I'm locked in my channel and my groove when, when I'm feeling good. I'm definitely feeling in control of the entire game, uh, kind of in control of how the pace is. You know, I'm the one that um, gets to be the last one up on the mound with the, the new the new pitch clock they've got going. Um, the hitter has to be in there before I do. And so being in control of that, being in control of the clock, um, managing, you know, uh, the running game um, is an important thing that, that helps me feel confident um, and just establishing the inside part of the plate, making hitters uncomfortable. Um, establishing both the the fastball in and the fastball down, um, the two seam down, are two things that um, you know I think again make hitters uncomfortable and make me feel more confident. You mentioned the pitch clock. How do you like it so far? I thought that I would absolutely hate it. Um, I think I might have changed my mind a little bit. Um, wow! Definitely, we've had we've had we've had better pace. Um, but the real reason I like it is it because I think it gives pitchers a little bit of an advantage over the hitter um, due to their only uh, ability to to call one timeout during an at bat. Um, so for me, if a guy calls time, you know, you know, an O two one two count, now you can make him really uncomfortable with a long hold, or you can just just adjust timing um, throughout the at bat. Um, because it really does give the pitcher the control um, of how the pace is with that, that pitch clock. So the part I feel like I would hate from the guys I've talked to about this is base running, though, where you can't throw over and kind of control the running game as much as you'd like. What has that been like? Because you guys, I think, get two throwovers, right? Yeah, well, we can throw over the third time. We just have to get the guy out or he gets the next base. Um, for so me, basically, I, I, you're probably not throwing over a third time, I would guess. <laughs> I've seen it a couple times, um, but has not worked out for anybody yet. Uh, for me, the controlling that I do with the running game is about uh, different holds. Um, you know, sometimes coming set, being quick to the plate, sometimes coming set, holding for, you know, five, eight seconds um, before delivering the pitch is how I uh, manage the running game. Um, and so, uh, for me, having the, the fewer pickoffs doesn't really affect me. I know it affects some guys. Um, 
and I'm sure that's frustrating. Uh, but it's you know holding the ball is uh, probably the most important part of of managing the running game, and just being quick to the plate. Also, um, that's kind of a an expected thing at this point now um, with the lack of pickoffs, especially for lefties. Um, so just doing those, I think it it doesn't really um, doesn't really affect me uh, having that that limit on the number of pickoffs. So, Jackson, I guess non-pitch clock division, right, because it's sort of eliminated some of this stuff. But I wonder, as you as you were coming up, what's something that hitters just do, or a lot of hitters do, that just drove you crazy? Like every pitcher I ever played with, I couldn't stand when guys would call time late or, you know, put their hand up and start digging in the box and doing like a sandbox-type project to make a, you know, like to fix the footprint or some other kind of crap. Pitchers always got so angry about some of those different things. What's something that hitters do or used to do that drove you crazy? Uh, yeah, definitely the, the calling time multiple times at bat uh, is something I'm not a fan of. Um, and, and most of the time when, when guys do call time during the at bat now, I make them pay for it uh, with just making them stand in there for uh, for about 10 seconds, however, however much time I have left on the clock. Um, so, yeah, de- definitely the, the, the overzealous time calling is, uh, is something that uh, frustrates me, even in the dugout, too. Um, just because it messes with the pace and makes the game almost feel like it's dragging. Jackson Rutledge, 23 years old, 6'8", and about 250. First-round pick by the Nats, 17th overall in 2019. Has been really throwing the ball well in Fredericksburg, back healthy and on top of his game. All right, real quick before we move on and kind of get to know you a little bit in our final few minutes with some uh, non-baseball stuff, I wanted you to just give a baseball tonight style, you play analyst, breakdown of your repertoire first, and then we'll get into your mindset. But the actual pitches you throw, the velocities, and, and we can kind of dive into those a little bit. But just break down the, the pitches you're throwing, the velocities right now. Yeah, so um, we start with the fastballs, uh, two-seam being the uh, the heavier of the mix, um, you know, 90, 95, 97, 98, something like that. Um, somewhere in that mix, uh, I'm going to use that ball a lot. Um you know, just kind of have that uh, that late arm side run. Um, Going to use that ball down in the zone. Uh, the four seam is going to be something um, also similar velocity, ninety five to ninety eight. Um, you know, working up in the zone, uh, late in counts. Uh, and then the changeup is um, anywhere from eighty seven to ninety. Um, something that I'll use to both sides of the plate, um, righty or lefty. Uh, similar uh, movement to the two seam. And then the um, the slider of recent has been uh, about eighty five to eighty seven, uh, throwing it harder now, and um, continuing to use that in, in just about any count, um, any either side of the plate, and uh, that's about it right now. That's about it. That's so funny, uh, Danny. You can see why he goes seventeenth overall. Yeah, that's and, right. I mean, we're just talking about like triple digit heat with the fastball almost, and and the change in the slider, you know, firmer than like Paolo Espino's four seamer. It's just incredible. Uh, all right, so Jackson, uh, what about a pie graph for me? I'm watching you throw a hundred pitches in a start, and I know it's varies based on lineup and all that stuff, but just on average, like you watch a Nats game, Masson's going to show, here's the percentage of time he throws stuff. What's your pie graph look like right now, do you think, if you had to guess? I'd say definitely uh, a very heavy mix of, of fastballs. Um, probably over over 60% at this point, and that may change going into to higher levels. Um, and then the, the slider being the next uh, most significant Pitch and then it, shooting for about a, a 15% changeup mix um, is uh, what I'm what my goal is right now. 
And so, um, so definitely the, the fastball is the taking up the most uh, space on that on that chart. Jackson, how's your pitch chart game when it's not your day to throw and you're charting your teammates? Are you just you know just making little tick marks? Or are you meticulous about it? Grade yourself. No, I do a pretty good chart. Uh, I do a pretty good chart. I've uh, had a lot of experience with charting game, <laughs> so <laughs> I do a clean chart. I'd say my handwriting isn't the best, but but uh, other than that, it's pretty clean. Who does the best chart that you've worked alongside? Like you're like, oh, I'm throwing. I want that guy charting. I, I think, I think because of the handwriting, I'm going to go with Jake Irvin because he has some uh, some pretty neat handwriting. Um, I'll give that to him. <laughs> he's having a good year too. He's he's done well for himself. All right, I got a bunch is, of stuff yeah. to get to know Jackson Rutledge here, Danny. Anything else baseball you needed to hit on before we do that? No, we covered it. All right, very good. So let's run through some things. I want to know what the last show you binged was. Um, probably Better Call Saul. Ooh, okay. Is that what? Maybe that's your answer. But favorite TV show ever? Yeah, I think I got to give it to that one too. It's just so good. Yeah, it's, that's a, it, it, yeah, it's yeah no, And I assume you watch Breaking Bad as well. It, it's 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 equal mm-hmm. in some ways. I think it's better. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's yeah, phenomenal show. Big fan of that. What is your eating contest food? Like you could just eat more of that than the average bear. <laughs> uh, just about anything, I think. Uh, how about uh, <laughs> how about a how about a ribeye steak? You probably put down uh, probably seven or eight of those. Oh man, <laughs> ribeye is the best. What what is a number of ounces that you would see on the menu that you would say I'll eat that, but it'll be difficult? Like if for whatever reason there's like a forty ouncer on a on a menu or something like that, is that something you could do in one sitting? If you had well, so to, usually what I usually what I can do is. Um, if I'm out to eat with my girlfriend or my mom or my sister like that, I can just eat half of their meal after and I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> that's, yeah, but, that's great. But for me, if it says uh, dinner for two, um, that's kind of like at the line. If I can, uh, <laughs> I could probably finish the dinner for two, but do I need to? Probably not. Yeah, it's dinner for Jackson is right. what it means. If you, if you, <laughs> right. Six, eight, you're growing boy here. Favorite non-baseball activity, off day you don't have to worry about the Nats being upset if you're doing something physical. Like, what is your dream off day scenario? I actually really like to cook. Um, spend a lot of time doing that in the off season, um, and so just I guess making a, an extravagant meal um, would be a would be a good activity for me. Like grill work or or in the kitchen? What, what kind of cooking are you doing? Uh, both of them. Yeah, I like to do uh, do all of it. I, you know, considered going to culinary school at one point, <laughs> might still. Um, but yeah, doing a do just about anything in the kitchen. So is that the answer to the if you weren't a baseball player, what would you do? You'd be a chef. <laughs> Maybe could be. Yeah. What's your specialty? Like I, I'm coming over double date style with my wife, and you guys are trying to impress us. What is Jackson cooking? Uh, probably doing some sort of homemade pasta. Um, that's, that's been my go-to recently. Um, homemade, homemade pasta, homemade sauce, um, maybe grill some steak with it. Damn. My guy's a chef. That sounds pretty awesome. That's pretty (laughs) impressive. Carbs Uh, and meat. What's the worst thing about being as tall as you are? Six, eight, like we think about it or we don't, but the thing that you go, man, it would be awesome to be about a foot shorter right now. I'll give you three things. One of them, airplanes. Um, the other one, bus. Um, the third one being trying to sleep on a hotel full-size bed. Hotel um, beds aren't nice. good? I feel like they're always – well, I'm 5'8", so that's probably why I feel that way. Yeah, he's, his, <laughs> his, from his knee down is off the bed pretty much. 
So if you get a yeah. a full size bed in a hotel, it's problematic. It's it's not the most comfortable thing. Yeah, I'm usually uh usually got about half my half my leg hanging off the bed, oh, or I'm brutal. going diagonal or something. Best and worst piece of advice you've ever received. It's a good question. Um, I don't know about the worst. I don't know if I would remember that. <laughs> uh, you might have to come back to me on that one. If it's, I need you to pass. Think, uh, <laughs> <to think. laughs> if it's bad advice, you probably just discarded it anyway. Uh, yeah, I think I went one. Like one jump off that, climb that, throw that pitch. You know, one of those kind of things. What's your least favorite unwritten rule in baseball? The one that you, you would love to throw to the wind. Hmm. I um. I think it's not even a, an unwritten rule anymore, but um, the the three zero auto take, uh, I'm not a fan of, um, and I, I really love when when hitters swing three zero on me because that means they might ground out or fly out. Um, but I think also uh, it's it's the best hitting count, so why would we not try and um, you know, hit the ball to the moon at that point and and uh, hit the ball instead of just taking moon. a fastball down the middle. You an electronic strike zone guy? We want robot umpires. What about you? See, I don't know because there's an art to um, to commanding the zone. There's an art to uh, receiving the ball and having that relationship with your catcher to where he knows where you're going to throw it and where he can steal strikes. Um, definitely can be frustrating, I know, especially when you're watching the broadcast and it has the square up there. Um, but I think if you go to the, the auto zone, um, it, it makes things weird with curveballs. Um, you know, if a guy catches it down the middle, it's not really a strike because it's crossing the plate. You know, at the guy's head, if you if you throw a big twelve six, so I think it just it just complicates things even more. Um, I threw on him a couple times in the fall league, um, and it was it was fine. It was just it was just weird um, because I could throw sliders that weren't strikes that were getting called strikes because they were crossing you know, in the zone. So we'll see we'll see what they do. What's your favorite sport to watch besides baseball? I've been watching hockey recently, actually. Uh, me and me and Mason Dinnenberg, he's a huge hockey fan. He's a big Lightning fan. Um, so we've been we've been watching that. Watch the Blues in the playoffs, and and so now I'm into that. I guess I love hockey live and on TV. But if you haven't been to many games live, you got to do it. Especially at Cap One Arena here in DC. There's great vibes for the Caps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to go to one of those. Uh, Fredericksburg is a pretty cool little spot. You guys got a good ballpark. Real quick, rapid fire. You mentioned Denneberg. I just want to get your thoughts on a couple of uh, guys now that are your teammates that are having some nice years. Uh, Jeremy De La Rosa has blown me away. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. What do you think of him? Yeah, he's a stud. He's a um, he's a five tool guy. Um, you know, he he's just been so much more relaxed this year. Um, so much more confident. Uh, that's been good to see. You know, he's. He's hammering the ball. He had a nuke. Uh, was it yesterday or two days ago? Yeah, he hit one four forty, um, like one eleven off the bat. I think. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a bomb. Um, you know, he's got the ability to do that. They can also run, um, throw guys out, and field the ball. Uh, so, you know, it's he, he he's having a great year, and you know, hope to see him uh, move to a higher level here soon and keep tearing it up. Yeah, he's a little bit older than the guy I was going to ask you about next, but T.J. White has been on this crazy tear. I think he was like maybe a fifth-round pick or something. He's a teenager, but he's been off the charts the last five weeks or so. Yeah, he's definitely one of the strongest um, you know, teenagers I've seen. He is, uh, he's another guy that can hit the ball a real, real long way uh, when he gets a chance. 
he's been tearing it up recently. Um, you know, I'd love to see that for him. Uh, getting that confidence up and, and just, you know, continue the year doing that and just hitting the ball hard. And then the last guy you mentioned was Mason Denneberg, a fellow first-round pick. He's been through the ringer with injuries and trying to come all the way back now. Uh, what have you seen from him when he's been able to get on the hill? Uh, it's been electric. Yeah, he's he's been he's been throwing hard. He has been, um, you know, uh, commanding in the zone, uh, making guys uncomfortable again. And and you know he's when he uh, you know I'm happy for him to uh, to get healthy. You know he's he's been like you said he's been through it. Um, so for him to be healthy the rest of this year, I think he's going to put up some some pretty uh, pretty phenomenal numbers. Um, and so you know just just happy for him and. You know, hope he can uh, continue it. Jax, this is a real treat, man, to catch up with you, dude. Continued success, okay? And thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. As Jackson Rutledge, Nationals pitching prospect, will be at Nats Park, hopefully, within the next year or so, striking batters out and putting away big-time hitters in the National League East. And ribeye. And ribeyes. And ribeye. <laughs> if you make stake in the nation's capital in the uh, Navy Yard neighborhood here, get ready. He's coming for you. Thank you to Jackson Rutledge for joining us. Let us know which prospects, which people in the organization you want to hear from on Bustin' Loose Baseball. You can tweet us at Grant H. Paulson, at Funny Danny, or Darius's Twitter account, which has numbers in the game, the old rapper from California, for some reason. What's your Twitter account? At the game under... Yeah, it's not, that's of not course. it, Terrence. See, that's not it. That's, that's not, not your own it. handle. Yeah, See, it, if, if you up. can't remember it, how am I the supposed to? The ampersand underscore backslash mystery. The hashtag game underscore asterisk. <laughs> what, what is your actual handle? At the underscore game 836. I'm sure. But it's not the word underscore. It's an actual no, underscore. No, no, no. An the actual underscore, right. Underscore yes. game 836 or 386? 836. We've thoroughly confused everyone. I know. There it is. So um, you just go ahead and find that. So find that. Or you can just tweet us at Grant H. Paulson at Funny Danny and tell us who you want on the show. Darius is our producer. This is normally the part of the show where you read a review from the last week that someone left us that's very nice and classy and kind. But there's no new reviews Nobody to read. Did it. Shame to the folks that listen to Bustin' Loose Baseball by not giving us new reviews. I can't believe this. The nerve of you guys to not say nice things about us. We are all very disappointed. Where's our shame bell? Shame. This is what is this thing? It's a mortar and pestle in this studio for zero reason. I'm gonna knock on the mortar and pestle. We should never forget that shame. that's in this studio. Shame. The shame mortar and pestle. Shame. This has to be like the, one of the junkies gave it to like Valdez or something for uh, the Christmas special, and then he just left it in here and never took it home. For some reason, there's like a local apothecary that's missing a mortar and pestle. Nobody knows. All right, so we have nothing to read, so we'll make one up. Uh, there's a guy somewhere named Stephen. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Steven, is saying something along the lines of, wow, this podcast is great. We love it. You could do a podcast where you just break the game down every single day, but why would you do that when you can big picture talk about this organization in an awesome way? So I love that these guys have great guests and do good interviews and talk about the Nats in, in ways that is not dated and uh, that can be listened to at any time at my convenience. And I love them, and even though Grant's fat and disgusting uh, because he's addicted to carbs and sugar, uh, I, I find uh, his podcast with Danny and uh, the fact that Danny has um, taken his health seriously and has gotten into shape and um, does a good job in comedy. I find these two guys worth listening to. Just all in one review from Steven. That's what Steven said. Steven, thank you for that review. 
Thank you. You could be a little nicer to me, so but that's run on fine. sentences about Grant's waiting. Indeed. I thought... um, all right. So without further ado, uh, we got a superlative to do. Speaking of uh, fatness, what are we going to do for our superlative? I say today, because it's almost July 4th. If you're listening to this, you could be listening on, on July 4th. You don't know. I don't know your life. Hot dog eating contest. Pick the national that you would enter into an eating contest. Pick your eating contest national. Okay, very good. I would take Jackson Rutledge, who we talked to earlier in this podcast, but because he's not in the big leagues yet, I can't do that. So, Darius, you go first. Who's your eating contest national? I don't know what it is, but something strikes me about Yadiel Hernandez that he could get down in the eating contest. Wow. Yeah, I have confidence that Yadiel Hernandez will be the one that will come out as a champion in our July 4th uh, Independence Day weekend eating contest. Now, we're, we're, it's definitely a hot dog eating contest. We're not doing watermelons like we did. We with... it's, it's hypothetical. Yeah, it's a hypothetical. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's shrimp, it's meatballs, it's, you know, whatever we're going to do. Who would who would eat the most of fill in the blank? I got Yadiel Hernandez is my choice. Danny? So, what I think you guys are sleeping on is Takiro Kobayashi, the former world record holder at the hot dog eating contest. Just a tiny little guy, very thin. Joey Chestnut, not a big old fat orc. Not not the guy from Stand By Me eating the pies. The sneaky guys are the skinny guys. Carl Edwards Jr. That's ridiculous. He's got a metabolism for days. He's got the Flash's metabolism. The guy's jersey barely fits. There's just no way. He's, he's so skinny. He's, 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 he's as it thick as a clothes hanger. an extra small. That guy would win the eating contest, and no one would see it coming. Outrageous. Uh, I am between two thoughts here. You guys can help coach me up. So I've got a couple guys. I'm, I was looking for height. I'm thinking about just like tall guys that can store a lot. So I'm thinking Jackson Tatro, who was on the podcast earlier this week. Or I'm going to go the opposite direction. K. Barrett Ruiz, who's got like a thick lower half. He's super young. Young people seem to be able to eat more than older people. This is true, yeah. Um, what, which of those two guys should I go with? Tatro, because he's tall. Ruiz kind of has that like thick trunk leg kind of uh-huh, lower uh-huh, half uh-huh. thing working. I like Tatro. Again, okay. my theory. I'm, go Tetro, I'm telling you. I'll stick with Tatro. He's got height. He can store it. Uh, so there you go. Enjoy the 4th of July. Joey Chestnut eating all the hot dogs and whatever kind of grossness happens on TV with eating contests. Uh, great superlative for you. It is moderately ridiculous that we just come up with these weird superlatives. Then we just all throw a random national name out there and move on like it meant something. Could you not give away the gimmick, please? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> For Danny and Darius, I'm Grant saying goodbye for Bustin' Loose Baseball. We appreciate you guys listening. Please spread the word. We really got to grow this thing. We want to grow this thing. It's not a great time to do that and to start a Nats <laughs> podcast with them really scuffling this year, but hopefully uh, with all the prospect and minor league talk, uh, hopefully it's entertaining for you guys, and it means a ton that you listen regularly. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and spread the word. Bustin' Loose Baseball in the books. We'll talk to you next week.